0: to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I am here with our new co-host, Michelle Claire. Michelle, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I
2: am wonderful. I'm so excited to be here
0: tonight. Well, I'm thrilled to be partnering with you in the show. And, of course, we're still waiting for PK to feel better and rejoin us. On our efforts to educate and entertain everybody with the paranormal and as everybody knows PK has been facing some health issues she is at home but she's still recovering but anyways it's a, been a long road for her but Michelle I'm thrilled that you're here now for everybody who has heard you on our show before they already know that you are a great psychic medium and I don't know if you're aware of this, but when I first started the show, my first uh, co-host was a psychic medium. So here we are again, and it's just thrilling to have you here on the show. Thank you so much.
2: Oh, my gosh. Thank you. I am so excited to join it and be in this amazing world and connecting with so many amazing people.
0: Well, we certainly have amazing people that join us on the show. We've got some great guests tonight, two exciting guys, two ghost hunters, who will be joining us shortly. But first, I wanted to give you an opportunity to please share your upcoming events with everybody. So go ahead. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Thank you so much. So if you are in the Phoenix, Arizona area, February 6th, I will be in person up in Scottsdale. We'll be doing readings and some sound and energy healings with the gong baths and the crystal bowls and all of that. Uh, February 12th, I will be in Tempe, also doing in-person readings. And then on the 28th, I have an online gallery reading. And you can find tickets to all of these through my website, net. Great. Well,
0: that, I wish I was out there. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yes, come out I here. I certainly we wish I was out new there new now new because, mother. well, you, let me tell you what it is here. I mean, I I just can't tell you how much I would hate to leave. The seven degrees is what it is right now, seven, oh. single digits. No, I would love to I'm be there. I'm sorry. Me. <laughs> yes, we have a sunny 69 degrees today. So oh, it was perfect. God, it's, like, it's a heat wave. Oh, my God. Well, I promise <laughs> I'm going to get out there sometime. And I also wanted to tell everybody, my goodness, we've got some great stuff on our Facebook page. Make sure you go there. Give us a like and follow, and, that, and also Twitter. But here's the thing I wanted to share with everybody. Just before I came down to the theater room to start the show, I came across a post from our friend Yuri Geller, who's been on the show. And Yuri Geller, for anybody who doesn't know who he is, he's a spoonbender, It's one of the things that he used to do in Israel. And he also worked for the Mossad. He is a quite amazing psychic, and he is telekinetic. He has many, many abilities. Anyways, this really caught my eye, and I just want to read you his post. He said, My dear friends, A team mapping radio waves in the universe has discovered something unusual. Now, I read about that somewhere else, but he's qualifying it a bit differently. This unusual radio wave releases a giant burst of energy three times an hour, and it's unlike anything astronomers have ever seen before. No doubt in my mind that this is connected to alien intelligence way, way superior to ours. Start deciphering their messages. They are preparing us for a mass landing soon. Wow, huh? Well, yeah.
2: I mean, that's a little crazy to imagine that.
0: Well, as I was saying before we went live, you know, it's... (laughs) Why not? Let's have aliens in 2022. That's all we're missing at this point. You but know, uh, we anyways, might as
2: well. And the thing why is, not? you know, they, they could be very friendly and very helpful. It doesn't mean this would be a bad thing.
0: I know. I'm hoping it won't be a bad thing. We've really had <laughs> it with the bad things, you know. We really have. And also, you work with the angelic realm. And you were going to get a message for our audience tonight. So what did they tell you?
2: Yeah. So the energy that was coming in from the angels this evening was for each of us to start embracing the present moment. So for the last couple of years, we have all been worrying about the future, especially COVID jobs, what's coming up, who's sick, who's not, on and on and on and on. And the energy right now is embrace the present moment. They said to say, That our power for our future and our power in controlling our emotions, it's right here, right now. So it's really easy to run away with all the worry and all the bad things that could happen or all the great things that could happen. But where we have the ability to create and manifest our future is right here in this present moment. So when we find ourselves worrying, pull that energy back in and remind yourself that for most of us right here in the present moment, we are good. We really are. So they came through with a lot of love and confidence. I do think we're going to see a lot of changes this year, but I really don't want to say that I think they're all bad, especially since you're talking about aliens invading. It might be a great thing. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it might be. Well, that's good advice always to be in the present moment, not the easiest thing to do, but it's it's something to aspire towards, I'd say. (laughs) That would be good if we could all at least try it out. But thank you for that message, yeah. Michelle. That's a good one. So as everybody knows, tonight we have we have celebrities with us. We have Yay. the stars, yes, of A&E Ghost Hunters. We have Brandon Elvis, and Mustafa Gatilari with us. And we're going to be talking about some really fascinating things with them, their new technology, their classification system of how they They actually have found some way to use scientific method with ghost hunting and and give it more integrity. They are also very committed to telling the truth about what they're finding. So not faking anything, which is great news because we're all tired of the phony stuff. We want the real deal, and that's what these guys are doing. They have a brand-new book out. It is called Elements of a Hunting. You can get it on Amazon, and this really is a great book. I read it. It's phenomenal. Everybody who's interested in ghost hunting should go out and get it. It is wonderful. Now, also, they're involved in a television production. I know it's kind of top secret, but they'll tell us as much as they can about it. And we've got a lot of questions for these guys, so let's get started. So... Let's see. Here we have them. Yep. Mustafa has joined us. Brandon and Mustafa, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having us. Very excited. So I have to
3: say, first, I have to say that intro you guys have is awesome. I love the music. I love the voiceover. <laughs> it was phenomenal. It got me so excited for the show.
0: <laughs> oh, that's great. Thank you. That's been with us for just about ever, so I'm glad it's it's still good. It's, it's still working. So, now you guys have had Very interesting early lives that basically hooked you into this whole field of ghost hunting. Now, Brandon, for you, you were touched by death several times in your life early on. And Mustafa, you were living in a haunted house. So whoever wants to go first, tell us a little bit about what led you into being a ghost hunter.
1: Brandon, I'll give it up to you, Holmes (laughs) Gillett. (laughs)
3: <laughs> so you know you know, my journey into the paranormal started at a young age uh in 1995 at the age of eight years old I lost my oldest brother to cancer and in 2004 I lost a brother to suicide so that kind of sent me on uh. my journey into the paranormal into the mm. you know thinking about the possibility of an existence of a life after death so it was never really about having a personal experience or experiencing a paranormal phenomena per se it was more about having to learn about death and cope with that at such a young age. And I, you know, got into the idea of the possibility of life after death and does consciousness survive, survive death. And that's really what got me started.
0: Yeah. That's, I can imagine that must have been pretty that. traumatic. Yeah. Yes. Pretty traumatic. Those two
3: losses.
0: Wasn't there another loss also a grandparent or someone who passed away?
3: Yeah, my grandmother. Yeah, she passed away in 2001, um, and she passed away at the age of 74. And it was, it was a lot to take in. It was a, you know, it was a lot of loss at a young age for me. And you know, and having to almost virtually grow up in a graveyard, if you will. Because my mother, you know, mm-hmm. losing a son, I can't imagine what that would be like uh, in that grieving process. Would take me with her every day to visit his gravesite and mourn his death. And so I was around, you know, the cemetery for a good part of my life. And so just being around that and seeing other funerals take place and seeing how other people dealt with the grieving process was something that, you know, again, sent me on this path and, and, and looking for answers and something I continue to do to this day.
2: Brandon, did yeah. you ever feel the presence of any of your loved ones after they transitioned?
3: You know, I I haven't. I, I don't believe I haven't. Mm-hmm. I can't say that 100%, but I have had multiple encounters over the past uh, 16, 17 years where I've had people with psychic abilities approach me that have no idea about my past, no, no idea about my history, that have brought up my brothers specifically, which is, you mm-hmm. know, I don't believe in coincidences, and I, there's no right. way that those people could possibly know that information. And uh, yes. so I, I guess you could say, yeah, I have had you know, a sense of their presence through those encounters and through uh, having various psychics over the years approach me about that. Mm-hmm.
2: Interesting. Yeah. Because I, I think that is part of what probably set you on this journey was you were feeling like you weren't able to fill them or
3: you weren't connecting with them.
2: Is, is that right? And so you're like, okay, is there more?
3: Right. Absolutely. You know, and it, it's that larger conversation, you know, one thing that, you know, everyone in life and everyone in, in humanity, has different ide you know, ideologies. They have different uh, religions. They have different thought processes, but death is one thing that unites us all. And that's one thing that we are all going to meet is that ultimate end. And I think that, you know, just thinking about that larger question, what happens when we die, you know, that's something that, you know, fuels a fire inside of me and something that uh, continues my research. I love that. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Yeah, that's great. So Mustafa, what brought you to this? Field of research.
1: Uh, a lot of anger, uh, as, as weird as that sounds. <laughs> a lot of anger at the super yeah, like like any great love story. Um, you know what I mean? You got pissed off because somebody will hit you with a car, and then it's like, oh my god! Uh, no, I wish it was that quaint. Uh, no, but uh, my my parents came from a really really uh, superstitious background. So when we were experiencing um, paranormal or what seemed to be paranormal activity in our home that we moved into was like empty for a few years, classic horror movie setup, You know, we go and we move into this place. And, um, you know, the first night there, there was like some weird uh, sugar honey iced tea going down. And um, throughout the years, every kind of misfortune that befell my family, um, my parents were constantly attributing it to this, like, uh, we're Muslim. So we grew up like anything bad was a jinn. You know, Albanian Muslims. Oh, DG, yeah. that, that's the word that they would say. So like, it's a gin, you know, it's a gin, it's a gin. And I was just like, throughout the years, I was just so sick and tired of them blaming every bad thing on a gin, more so my father than, you know, my mom. Um, because I'm just like, you're, you're just making stupid decisions. It's like a gin's not taking money out of a bank account. It's like you have like a seventh grade education from like Albania and you're investing in the stock market when you've been like a laborer your whole life. That's why we don't have money. Like, you know, like that's, -hmm. I thought it was really practical reasons as to why, like, you know, we were experiencing such misfortune growing up. So uh, I, I kind of set out to learn more about gin, which kind of when I started reading more about gin um, and I started reading about like different, like, you know, supernatural phenomenon, a lot of the stuff, that was happening in my, ho- uh, in my home, um, it seemed like it was more related to reports that people had of, of ghosts and, and hauntings. So that kind of got my, that piqued my interest into researching that more and more. And then somewhere along the line, um, I read a line in a, in a book where it had said, um, I forgot the name of it, but I, I was just, just a library nerd, where it was, uh, you want to research the history of the home. And you want to look into the history of the home. And like every classic ghost story is like, oh, you got to find out what happened there. So I'm just like, all right, well, that kind of piqued my curiosity. I started looking into the the history of the house that we grew up in. And sure enough, um, you know, I started talking to people in the neighborhood and I found out there was someone who died on the property and um, was somebody who had uh, committed suicide. And uh, then a lot of the stories – And a lot of the, you know, things that my brother would tell me about the man he was talking to in the garage who, as a child, he said, oh, this man's tying shoelaces around his neck. That kind of really piqued, you know, my interest. And I was like, oh, okay. So the more I delved into the house and its history and from all accounts, what people were telling me about this man, a lot of the activity that occurred in the home seemed to really make sense uh and makes sense in that it just left me with more questions so that's what kind of started my whole paranormal journey um I just became obsessed with the idea of hauntings and and ghosts and more so how to like help people in terms of like reconciling their present with uh hauntings so I had family members um friends you know they all kind of turned to me as like the resident holy man who deals with ghosts and you know, I just wanted them to help them mm-hmm. lead better lives, you know, just get them out of the same vicious cycle of blaming all their problems on some like unseen force. And ninety nine percent of the time it was, you know, someone's just drinking too much or, you know, their their house is just uneven on the floors or, you know, they have some wonky cabinets or whatever, but then every so often I'd come across something that I really just couldn't explain. Um, and, you know, I got some friends together and We, you know, didn't know what the hell we were doing, and then we kind of got a little better at it. And, um, yeah, as the years went on, it was just a very, very, uh, it was a huge learning process. And, uh, yeah, and then I met Brandon while, (laughs) uh, you know, on the set of uh, Ghost Hunters when they flew us out to California, flew me out. And, um, yeah, I met him there, and then that just kind of, like, lit an even bigger fire under my butt. And I've been uh, just doubling and tripling down in paranormal research ever since.
0: So this is your full-time job now?
1: Yeah, pretty pretty much. I mean, I still write. Uh, I, I I was, you know, I think that's another reason why Brandon and I kind of get along. So was, we're both like horrible insomniacs. We don't really <laughs> sleep much. And we're oh constantly like, working <laughs> or a lot, a lot, a lot. And my parents are immigrants. So, like, I still have that kind of, like, immigrant grind. Like, you know, I just work, 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 work all the time. But, yeah, paranormal, we're, we we wrote the book together, even like right after we finished filming season two of Annie's Ghost Hunters. We got right to work on the book. We started drafting up ideas for all the different shows and programs. We started, we're constantly delving into research. I mean, I I messaged I talk to Brandon more than I talk to my own wife. Like we we talk to each other all the time constantly because we're, we're like, dude, what about this? What about this theory? What about that? Oh, what about this article? It's like, holy, you know, we're going back and forth, back and forth all the time. And it's great because we, we have this, this shared passion and we're always constantly like pushing each other. Um, So it's more than a full-time job. But I still do. I write for distractify.com. Um, and, yeah, yeah. So I uh, – I'm, I'm a busy bee.
0: Yeah. And, Brandon, how about you? Is this full-time for you too?
3: Yeah, it is. I mean, we're constantly working on something. You know, the book, we were actually – one of the good things that came out of the pandemic and the lockdown is that we had time to sit down and write the entire book and the entirety of it and uh, get that done. But, yeah, we're you know always researching and working on new show ideas and programs and uh, just trying to – uh, step out of the shadow of pseudoscience within this field, and really uh, taking it to that next step, and hoping to be taken seriously by the public and the scientific community. So it's a uh, it's a lot of work, but it's something I you know very much enjoy and have a passion for.
0: That's great. And are you familiar with Bob Bigelow's latest research out uh, outlay, where he's asked people to provide him with proof, and he's offered I think it's a million dollar prize or something like that.
3: I have heard that, yeah. It's uh, very similar to James Randi uh, with you know proving psychic ability. Um, I have heard that, yes. Except
0: Bob is not a skeptic, so that's the good part of all of this. He's truly looking for proof and also something that can be repeated. That's the hard part with this, isn't it? It's very difficult to repeat phenomena.
3: You know, it is, it is, but it's all about the methodology, you know, the, your standards, your ethics, and your set of protocols. And once we get that down to an exact science, being able to repeat the phenomena is, you know, will be far more easy. And, you know, one thing that Mustafa and I have done uh, really well is the fact that we implement, you know, very sensitive pieces of equipment from various technical industries. We're not utilizing devices specifically made to find ghosts. To, to uh, entertain within the paranormal space, we use devices and equipment that are used in other industries that can give us factual data and empirical evidence, and that's something that we have done for a number of years now, and something we uh, you know continue to do. And you know to go further with that, we started to implement what is referred to as an EMCCD camera, an electron multiplying camera. This camera is typically used by the digital imaging scientific community to record single photon events. And the reason we started using that is because I went to one of my scientific consultants and I asked them if ghosts are real and there are, you know, manifestations of what we believe to be ghost entities, whatever you want to call them, what are the, you know, how would that possibly happen? What are the mechanics behind that? And the theory of photons and photons and photon events were thrown out at me. And photon events are, are lights that are typically not seen by the human eye that are all throughout the universe here on Earth as well. And we implemented this very sensitive scientific piece of equipment in multiple locations and started to record photon events in the exact locations where eyewitnesses were claiming to see uh, entities and spirits. And not only have we, you know, know, furthered that theory of what we call the paranormal photon theory, but we've also started to establish a correlation between these photon events taking place in these haunted locations with barometric pressure changes. So that's one thing we've done is, you know, setting a very specific uh, data set, and a parameter set, where we're trying to collect these very specific environmental conditions associated with haunted places to say, hey, look, this is data. This is what's happening naturally in a location, but this is what's happening when what we perceive to be paranormal phenomena is manifesting. So that's something we've been working on and something that we'll continue to work on here this year.
0: That's great. Now, are you familiar with the research that the Rhine Institute is doing on photons right now?
3: I I have heard a bit about it. I I haven't read too much on it, but I have heard about it.
0: Yeah, you may want to stay in touch with them because one of our guests, Ed Edwards, he's been on a, a bunch of times on our show, he can actually generate millions of photons just on his own. They've measured him over and over again. And this is something they were able to replicate. And he was able to affect a a weather pattern. When he was on coast to coast, there was a big (laughs) hurricane that came in from somewhere. And George Nuri asked him if he could have an effect on it. And he actually brought the wind speed down. It was amazing. I mean, George was his mind was blown, and so was everybody's. But that's Ed. I mean, Ed's a good old country boy, and yet he has this incredible ability to generate millions and millions of photons. So you're onto something with these photons. That is for sure. It's a big piece. Oh, I love I think, that. a big missing piece. I,
3: yeah, I believe so, and I would love to connect with this, this gentleman. That would be fantastic. That's something that you yeah, would love that.
0: Definitely. I'll make sure you have his contact information. And it's something, I think, that may lead you further down this rabbit hole of photons. It would be fun to see what could happen from this. So I think the Monroe Institute also studied Ed. And so, anyways, he's of great interest. And I know he's been to a few institutes where they've looked into what he can do. And it's pretty amazing. So I'm also very impressed with your list of technology in your book, it's, it's very substantial. So it's, I mean, what's your favorite, what's your favorite piece of tech here? You've got so many great things.
3: Yeah. Oh, it's tough. I mean, you know, with any investigation we want to collect as much data as possible. Uh, like I was speaking about before. So, I mean, they all work in, you know, in conjunction with each other, but you no, know, I'd have to say, you know, at the end of the day, the EMCCD camera, is very special and being able to record these single photon events in, in various locations. I mean, obviously we're not getting them at every location we go to, but when we did these ghost hunters, there was three places in particular where we w- we were able to capture the same type of phenomena, almost repeat it in these locations. And again, that correlated perfectly with uh, the change in barometric pressure as well. So now I'd have to say the EMCCD camera is definitely high on that list. And I have to say, you know, the EDI Plus, the data logger, is a fantastic device. You know, I call it the Swiss army knife of the paranormal because it has so many functionalities. You know, you're recording everything from uh, temperature to pressure to humidity to EMF to vibration, all in one device. Great sensor technology in that device, and it gives a lot of data and factual data that's not just um, a RIM pod that's, you know, emitting its own EM field that can be easily contaminated by other devices within the investigation These, uh, you know, the sensors within that device provide a lot of information, and especially when you provide that information on a time code and you're aware of what the natural environmental conditions are of a location, when you start to see changes within that and phenomena starts to take place, that's when things start to get really interesting. So I'd have to say, you know, the the EMCCD camera and the EDI Plus are definitely up there.
0: Yeah, they they sound great. What about the FLIR thermal imaging camera? How do you use that?
3: You know, we use that for, you know, multiple purposes. You know, a lot of the time it's mainly used to, you know, kind of uh, look at a structure to see if there's any flaws within a structure, any type of water leaks, any type of damage to buildings. It's very good for that purpose. But every once in a while, we do find anomalous type of phenomena with it. Uh, It could be a heat signature. It can be a cold signature. It varies. But for the most Mm -hmm. part, we do use that device to kind of, you know, survey a structure and to see if there's any flaws within the locations, And it's more of, you know, a tool to aid us in understanding what the building's like, because obviously we can't see into the wall in some of these places, but that device will give us very clear understanding of if there's any damage to a structure, if there's anything happening there that could uh, very easily be explained as something that what some would, you know, portray to be paranormal, but at the end of the day is something that's a completely natural occurrence.
0: Now, you've got a list here in your book of, what, about 10, 12 different pieces of equipment that you use. And here's a question from someone in the audience. They want to know, how much does it cost to get outfitted with all of these things to do ghost hunting?
1: Well,
3: you know, there's, there's different ways to go about it. There's devices out there that you can purchase that are more affordable, that can provide you some great results and great information and data. Uh, But, you know, the stuff that we use typically in the field is usually loaned to us by other, you know, professionals from technical industries. We have uh, great consultants, amazing people that are, you know, in the scientific community, some in the medical community, um, engineers, people like that, that are very much interested in paranormal phenomena. They don't actively go out uh, and investigate it, but, you know, sometimes they do go with us, but they, they provide such great consultation when it comes to, um, equipment as well as an understanding of how the equipment works and also what's natural in some of these locations. So um, the stuff we use is on the higher end because that's loaned to us by some of these uh, different institutions and people within those institutions. Uh, but you can buy devices out there like digital audio recorders. You know, technology has advanced at such a rapid rate where you can buy really great digital audio recorders that give a lot of information, high bit rates, a lot of data within the recording for a hundred dollars. Um, even uh, if you're looking for EMF fields or you're looking for a change in EMF, you can use something as simple as a compass. That works perfectly, and you can buy those very cheap. So it really depends on you know what you're trying to do and what you know your mindset is within the investigation.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, you could even purchase service. something as cheap as like a like a barometer. They have like Amazon sells like this really oh. great like elect- electronic barometer. You know, because pressure changes mm-hmm. is like a big thing. You know, everybody talks about that heavy feeling um, before you know, or when they go into like a room or something. And you know, EDI's or EDI pluses, I think they run like what like two hundred, two hundred twenty dollars. And if if you're you know just want to check pressure in an area, you have an inkling that that's uh, something you want to test. You know. You don't have to go and spend two hundred and twenty bucks on an EDI Plus. Get yourself a barometer. See if there's any like sharp decreases or increases in uh in barometric pressure with one of those, and you could get a decent one that's pretty well insulated uh, for like fifteen to twenty dollars.
0: Well, that's good. Okay, that doesn't have to break the bank. Now, when you are recording mm-hmm. and using your digital audio recorders, and I see you have different types of microphones that you can use, also. Tell us about some of the EVPs you've been able to capture.
3: Yeah, we've captured some phenomenal phenomenal stuff over the years. Um, And and again, anything that we collect that we believe to be unexplainable, we always take that to a third party, mainly an audio engineer that takes that recording and puts it through a spectrum analysis. And that breaks down these recordings frequency by frequency. And what that does is it, it can show us what a contaminated frequency from a radio frequency, cell phone frequency. There's so many frequencies in the air at any given moment around us at all times that some of these devices can be contaminated with those frequencies. Uh, So, But we've captured some direct, clear responses that seem to sound like human speech and human in nature that are, you know, again, very intelligent to the situation that have showed up outside of the contaminated frequency levels. And shows up almost in a range of human speech, but doesn't quite look like our voices on these recordings. it's It's been phenomenal
0: Yeah, I mean we've heard some EVPs. some of them are crystal clear, and some of them I don't know what they're saying. but what were some of the best ones that you guys came across?
1: I, I would say um, one that we mentioned in the book that's my personal favorite um, is when Brandon and I we were in this little old town called Pampa. In Texas, and we're at a location called the Worley Hospital, and um, we had done tons of research before going into there. And there was one story that uh, stood out to us, and it was a story about this uh, nurse by the ma- name of uh, Mary uh, Mary Lucille Myers. And um, we we go in- into this investigation first night we're there. Brandon and I are investigating the uh, the first floor, and Brandon thinks that he sees something um pass by in the hallway while we're investigating and on his body camera we caught what appeared to be a uh an apparition. Now this is this hospital has been out of commission at that point by what? Well like thirty five years, thirty or thirty five years. There's Brandon, I think, at that time we're investigating. Um right, and there was no there was no power to the building or anything like that. We did EMF sweeps, we did all of that. So the second night we're there investigating, There's um, we have other members of the team. Uh, the, the theory was, you know, if we're going to be drumming up new construction, that sometimes that amps up activity and what have you. So uh, we have other members of our team downstairs with the sledgehammers just, you know, reenacting an AC/DC music video in the, on the first floor, and the bop, 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 hitting the walls. And then Brandon and I are up on the <laughs> second floor, and while we're walking uh, through the second floor, out of the corner of my – I, to, to my left, I could swear that I saw an apparition. Now, I had I had never seen uh, an apparition or, like, a shadow figure. Like, I've seen other stuff. I've th- seen things move on their own and stuff like that in investigations, but I've never seen what a person who wasn't there. So my immediate reaction is to be like, oh, you're an idiot. You're just kind of seeing what I'm like. Yeah, let me just go. Let me go in the room. So we go in, and we immediately start getting EMF spikes. And then we start to invite this entity to interact with our PDI Plus, and it, and it, and it does. And we start asking questions. You know, are, are you a man? Nothing. Are you a woman? We get something. Are you a man? Nothing. Again, we ask, are you a woman? Boom. Are you a woman again? Boom. So we keep asking all these control questions back and forth, and we, we start our line of questioning with a very wide net, and we narrow it down, narrow it down, narrow it down until we get to the point where it's like, okay, did you work in this hospital? You, you know, yes. Um, were you a doctor, you know, nothing. Were you a you know, custodian worker, nothing. Were you a surgical nurse? Boom. And that's what Mary uh Lucille Myers was. So we still have a lot of more back and forth with the devices. And then the responses start triggering on our motion detector. Now, the Brandon has these very simple motion detectors, very simple. You stand in front of it, the light's on. You move back, the light turns off. So, again, we're asking questions, and it seems like every time the answer's in the affirmative, there's nothing in front of this motion detector, but something keeps setting it off. So then it stays on for a while. And then Brandon and I, uh, you know, we ask, we're like, hey, you, do you mind, Can can you step away from the light? So then... Uh, Step away from the 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 device, and then the light starts to dim, starts to dim, which is like remarkable. And then again, we continue asking questions back and forth for another like fifteen minutes, and it seems like we're dealing with an intelligent entity. So that's all very very cool, super dramatic. I I mean, I could talk about the story and it'll take an hour, but I'm I'm just giving you the the, the clip notes here. Yeah. But um, when Mm -hmm. at the end of the night, oh yeah, at at the end of then at the end of the investigation, end of the night. You know, we all go back to our respective rooms in the hotel. We're reviewing, you know, all the footage that we, we captured and all that. I get a call from Brandon, and it's like what, like 4 a.m. or something. He's like, dude, you got to come check this out. And <laughs> any time Brandon's called I was like, like, every time Brandon calls me, it's always good news. And I was just like, hell yes. Yeah. So I go and I run. I run to room. I'm like, dude, what's up? He gives me the headphones. I put them on. And at the part where we ask, like, hey, can, can you step away from – the device. You hear a woman's voice go, "Oh, oh, okay. Oh, sorry, wow. sorry." Hmm. She goes, "Oh, sorry." Steps away from it, and wow, it's the same. And it was it was so distinct. And it, on that floor, it's just me, Brandon, and the cameraman. That's it. That's just the three of us. Now I can't explain that. You know, I don't know what it is, but with all of the intelligent interactions that we were having, it was so crazy to have that, like, corroborated by it. So that was, like, probably my favorite EVP we ever got.
0: So let me ask you a question. Now, when you asked the entity, the woman, to step away from the device and she answered you, you didn't hear her at that time, right? You only heard it when you played back the recording? Yeah. That is so interesting. Yeah, we didn't,
1: yeah, we didn't well, hear it with, with our ears. Same with so, too, usually. Oh, yeah, right? you I don't mean it, see it in the because moment. Because the same thing but, can
0: happen. You don't see it with your eye, but the camera picks it up. And the same thing with the recorder. You don't hear it with your ear, but the recorder picks it up. I find that so interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's been a, tons of instances of that. I mean, visually, I mean, Brandon, what you captured... On the SS Queen Mary, I mean, you have that photo that you captured, and then the video of the little girl in there. I mean, that's right. freaking insane. Right. It's,
3: what was so What was so unique about that instance at Worley Hospital that Masav was talking about is the fact that we had multiple devices correlating within that session. So not only did we have these EMF spikes that we were getting, you know, uh, direct answers through, but then that, that communication seems – to move to the motion detector, which was very interesting. And we were having yes or no questions answered through the motion detector. But at that time we had no idea that there were, you know, vocalizations or answers audibly, well, technically not audibly, but, you know, digitally through the recordings that were happening at the exact same time. And that's something that's so important with our research is having that correlation between these different devices. So not only are we seeing a change in the, the environment with, you know, EMF spikes, you know, the EMF levels in that building, which had no power, by the way, is changing in that moment. Then you have a motion detector that's, you know, there to detect motion. We're physically not seeing anything down that hallway. We have cameras pointing down that hallway. There's no reason for that motion detector to be, you know, turning on and off the way it was. And we're having answers directly through that. And then lo and behold, we have these class A EVPs that come through of a woman that directly correlate. With the changes in the environment through EMF, with the motion detector being manipulated, it was a phenomenal thing. It was, you know, one of the – you know, it's one of those instances that make you, you know, look at paranormal research from a different lens and through a different light, right? Where you start to understand that it's not all gimmicks and tricks. There's actually something going on here, and there's a conversation that's taking place that – you know very well could have been Mary Lucille Lysi- Myers which it I mean it was responding in that way and it seemed to be her mm-hmm. and this woman that had such a tragic story and such a tragic end seems to be you know uh, still there in some capacity it's it's really phenomenal stuff
1: yeah and what was what I, I just want to talk about this just a, a few more seconds but like what was really sure. really great about that what I loved most about mm-hmm. that is the instant, it, obviously you're going to get excited whenever you capture anything that could be potentially paranormal. But like Brandon was just saying, that kind of set the precedent for us to like challenge ourselves even more on every single investigation that we went on, like, okay, let's get multiple devices. Let's see if we can get it corroborated in a bunch of different ways. We got something audio, cool. Let's see if we can get visual attached to it. Let's see if we can get environmental conditions um, changing or any aberrations that we can, you know, have at the same time, going off at the same time, so then we can start piecing these together and then see – like, okay, is, are all of these things connected? So then on an investigation like the Galena Marine Hospital, you know, Brandon brilliantly sets up the, the EDI Plus in front of the, e, the EMCCD camera. We see this blue shimmer that we saw with our own eyes in the middle of our investigation while we were, like, on a break of filming in the building. We run in there don't know where the hell this blue light came from. It shows up on the EMCCD camera as like this shimmer. And then right before the shimmering like starts happening before it kind of like, I can't say I'm going to use the like lamest word ever, but crescendos. That's the only thing that's coming to my mind where it like hits its Mm -hmm. zenith of like all of its like blue splendor. um, The start getting changes on the uh, EDI plus at the same time. So, That's really cool because what does that tell us? Okay, there's a light anomaly occurring at the same time as a pressure change. So the correlation between potential paranormal activity or these photon events with pressure is something that we've established on multiple occasions now. did it in Alaska. We did it in Galena. You know, uh, I'm pretty sure if we had the EMCCD camera or I'd like to think like at the Athenaeum, uh, Brandon, we were there. Maybe we would have caught something there if we did that so that's why we're so excited like now it's like oh we have all of these little bits of data so it's like okay let's up the ante let's challenge ourselves even more now we can now we can take this out of the realm of pseudoscience now we can start piecing this puzzle together a little bit because right now it's just a mess you know you got a bunch of people with a bunch of flawed devices kind of going around hoping to capture something but like how can we make this more cohesive how can we string that together that's what i'm most excited about
0: yeah, well, that's a great goal because there is so much fraud out there, and it makes it difficult for people who are just wanting to get the truth out there. So it's important to, to have that level of integrity that obviously both of you have. Good for you. And it's also yeah. a challenge because when you go to do a television show, you know time is money and they want something to happen. So the uh, temptation is there to try to make it seem like something happened when it didn't, just because the camera's rolling, money's being spent, got to wrap this show up. It's tough to to reconcile those things.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it it, it is. It it, it is. I mean, um, Brandon, you go ahead. You go ahead.
3: Yeah, no. I was just gonna say, you know, that's that's the unfortunate state that we're in right now with the paranormal entertainment. I'll, I, that's what I'll call it because that's what it is. Because it's not factual research in any way, shape, or form. It just isn't. And you have these these paras celebrities, uh, I guess you would call them, or I like to call them the paranormal elite because that's how they think of themselves in some way. That they are out there um, saying what they're capturing and their theories and their belief system is gospel, and that's and no one should question it. And it's a really sad state you know, to see with, you know, some of these people on these shows have just become the character they have developed for themselves for these TV shows. And they've just become this enigma within themselves where they what they say is 100% true. And, and people better take it that way or they, they're not taken seriously. Um, it's, it's very unfortunate. And that's something that we're looking to correct. And we are in full transparency and honesty. If we don't get anything, that's equally as, uh, as entertaining because there's a process behind that there. You know, we always say science is scary. Sensationalism is not because that process mm-hmm. of the unknown of testing, the unknown is not only entertaining, but it can be pretty frightening at times because we don't know what we're getting ourselves into. We don't know what the results are going to be. It can be very uncomfortable at times, but you know, it's, it's about the process. It's about being truthful and being honest. And, and we just currently do not have that in the current slate of paranormal entertainment.
0: Yeah. That's that's right because I know we used to hear rumors long time ago when ghost hunters was first uh, started that things were were being faked and it it was a turnoff to a lot of people because people do watch it for entertainment and and all these paranormal shows at the same time they don't want to feel like they're being made fools of by you know people that are just trying to make it look like something happened and it doesn't help anybody I mean the same thing happens with people who try to fake UFO stuff, it just muddies the waters for everybody. It's very unfortunate, but it's great that you guys are taking this in a new direction and, and really trying to get this to be accepted as a scientific method that you've actually identified these, what you say, class one, class two. It's very interesting the way you broke it down. Like in class one, I saw that you put in um, emotional attachments, gray ladies, innocence, ghosts. And I wanted to ask you, what are the gray
3: ladies? Talk to us about that. That's a very interesting phenomenon that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. And, you know, we use this specific set of terminology based off of case logs going back hundreds of years with uh, the London, you know, the London Ghost Club. And some of these uh, literary giants and people you never would have guessed were involved in the paranormal field. And people like Charles Dickens, uh, people like that, you know, there's always been an interest in, you know, the, what happens after death by some of the most brilliant people that have walked this earth from uh, Sir Isaac Newton, Nikola Tesla. Uh, there's so many people. But the terminology that we use to put together this classification system are different types of activity. Uh, entities, ghosts, hauntings—whatever you want to call it—that go back hundreds of years. And specifically with gray ladies, it's a phenomenon that was identified first in Europe by different researchers out there with the London Ghost Club that went to these old castles, some of these old manors, and they were seeing—you um, know—you know—they had eyewitness testimony and also seeing what looked like a woman that was completely in gray, and it was always associated with the history of a woman that was murdered for the sake of love. And it happened wow. time and time again with all these different locations throughout Europe. And that's something that actually came to fruition for us on Ghost Hunters when we investigated the Athenaeum in Indianapolis. Right, Mustafa?
1: Yeah, that was, and that was like at the start of where we, we began to see these shifts. Um, well, not shifts, but these uh, weird occurrences with pressure. I mean, you have this really tragic tale of this woman, Dr. Helene Kanabe, um, where we, we write about it in our book, and we worked with uh, someone who researched her life. She published a book on it called She Sleeps Well. Um, excellent read. And th- this story of this woman who was a trailblazer in every regard, German immigrant, came to Indianapolis, um, was one of the only female I think the first female doctor Who graduated from med school Was like one of the brightest minds In the area at the time Loved this place And you know she had a She was murdered And But her murderers basically Got away free uh, got Yeah because didn't they and- identify
0: her As a suicide or something When it was ridiculous There's no way it could have yeah, been a I'll- suicide I'll be
1: ridiculous. No I mean yeah. she had a It was a very deliberate cut The way her throat was slit is like that's you're not going to be able to do that yourself it was very clear from the coroner's report and then it took the community loved her so much that people actually pulled together their money in order to hire a uh, private investigator to go and basically get justice for her and then like after they couldn't afford it anymore he was so horrified by the case that he decided to keep working it anyway and they basically got got it ruled that her death wasn't a suicide but you know the people who were responsible, they didn't They didn't go to jail or anything like that. But, um, yeah, so we went there, and we were at the Athenaeum, and it, we just noticed that's when we first started realizing that there was intelligent responses on the EDI+, Plus and there were sharp precipitations and pressure whenever we brought up anything that was pertinent to Dr. Helene Kanabe's life. Anytime we asked her about the Athenaeum and the work that she did there, that would go up. We'd ask control questions, things that had nothing to do with it, nothing. We'd bring up Dr. Kanabe again, pressure changes. So um, that, was, that was a really, really interesting uh, case for us, and that just opened up a whole new world of possibilities for our research.
0: Yeah, I really like how you have broken this out into different categories. I, I'm a sociologist by training, and this makes a lot of sense, what you did. So it would be nice if other people who are into ghost hunting could follow this. It would, uh, I think it would help because you could build your cases based on, on these different categories, and it would make a lot more sense. So I know, um, Michelle, you had a question about time rifts, right? Yeah. I was, well, I have a couple questions. First of all, I was wondering,
2: do you ever have physical responses in these situations? Um, do you ever get nauseous or you feel hot or you have cold sweats or are you having physical responses in these interactions too?
3: You know, yeah. it's a very rare occurrence. Yeah, it's very rare, but it has happened. Um, personally for me, um, when we were at Madison Seminary in Ohio, um, I, it was one of the first times I ever encountered what almost, you know, the only way I can explain it was the sensation of something physically going through me. And not only did I feel that, you know, almost like a sense of it started out as a cold wind and then almost like an energy going through my body, and it, it made me physically ill to the point where I kind of doubled over and I felt like I was about to vomit. And So it's it's a rare occurrence, but um, that's something that personally happened to me at the Madison Seminary. And I know Mustafa had something, you know, to me that was, you know, Pretty scary. I don't know how this takes it, but mm-hmm. in the Glen house in Cape, uh, Cape Girardeau, Missouri, that was a pretty intense situation in the dining area.
1: Yeah, we were we were in the dining area, and uh, the Glen House. I, I always try to, I, I'll do like whenever we go on a case. You know, the way you approach an investigation is uh, very similar to the way I see it is you're meeting people for the first time, presumably, right? Because these are the entities that we are theoretically trying to interact with. So, you mm-hmm. know, my my parents kind of like raised me to not be like disrespectful when I walked into somebody's house. So I got a lot of beatings for that. Um, So I'm always very like traumatized (laughs) in a a good direction. It's a, Hey, listen, there's abuse in the right direction and I don't fault them for it at all. I mean, I'd be a mannerless monster if it wasn't for that. But like, um, I always want to make sure that, Like you know, before I go into an investigation, um, it's like I want the headline from this is like stop from ghost hunters like condones child abuse. Like no, that's not what I'm saying. But um, (laughs) uh, we we every time before we go into a case, it's like what what do I connect with? What don't I connect with? And if I don't connect with something, uh, how can I? Or at least, at the very least, address the fact that, listen, I can't sympathize with this or I can't connect with this, but this is what I'm trying to accomplish. And I try to vocalize that and carry that with me emotionally. And it's the same thing when you're, like, talking with somebody, you're going on a date or you're at a job interview. You know, people can always tell when you're trying to, like, BS them. They don't might not know exactly what it is, but... You, if you, if somebody really knows where you're coming from, you can feel that off of somebody. You can feel that energy. So the story of the Glenn House is something that was very, very, you know, kind of personal to me, um, because you, the Glenn family, you know, they were, they had this great home and they loved it, and then they lost it. And um, my my family, we lost our house growing up, and it was like a really, really uh, traumatic experience for me. Yada yada. Okay, play the violin, but it was it was very like. You know, it's something that still bothers me to this day. And it's just like even before I signed and got, like, my house, I was like, oh, God, like, I hope this doesn't happen. Like, you know, and it's like nightmares in my head. But when I was out there, in order to get a response, I, I got probably the most aggressive I ever got in an investigation, whereas I, I told it, it was presumed that these members of the family were there because every time one of their ancestors visited, um, there would be activity and it would ramp up. So I basically said, um, and I felt a little guilty while I was saying it, in the dining room area, I said, like, hey, you have to understand, like, this isn't your home anymore. It belongs to Christy. Christy was the director of the Glenhouse Museum at the time. And I was like, so, you know, uh, it belongs to her now. This isn't yours. You can't just go around and, uh, you know, walk around like you own the place and scare people. Right after I say that, I feel something that, felt akin to like an electrical burn or like maybe like a mm. jellyfish thing on my right arm. Mm.
3: Huh. And
1: I, my immediate reaction was to laugh because I was like, Oh my God, every time I'd watch like a paranormal show and someone's like, Oh, I just got scratched. I'd always be like, this yeah, guy's right. full of freaking <laughs> right. baloney. Like, you know what I mean? I would, I would curse yeah. more about it, but like, I, I don't know what the policy is on this, but like, I'm just like, this is like such hack fraud nonsense. Um, but I have heard instances of people getting scratched, and again, I didn't want to bring it up. I and mean, then I wish they kind of showed the whole thing on the show. But like, I go to Brandon and I'm like sheepishly going up to him. I'm like, "Hey, man, I, I don't. I think I was scratched, dude." He's like, "What?" He goes and he shines his <laughs> light, and sure enough, I have these like claw marks on my um, like scratch marks on my arm. And um, what's even more is that, like, you know, went back to the hotel, looked in the mirror, and I had it all down my back as well. Um oh. You know, and I hadn't had, yeah, I, I didn't have any fun nights out, you know, to that extent while we were out <laughs> in Missouri. Uh, so, like, that wasn't from that. But um, it was it was pretty cool. Like, you know, we had that, that bounce and it was right near uh, a letter that was addressed to the Glenn family from their descendant. Um, who was alive and, and visited it, and she's, she's an author, too, and um, she gave us a lot of wonderful you know, resources for the book. Um, so, yeah, it was just a very, very uh, interesting experience, the one I never thought I'd ever feel. Um, but, yeah, physical stuff can yeah. happen. But, I, again, I do think – I mean, I've been on hundreds of investigations, and it's very, very rare, for me anyway. Right.
0: So
2: that leads me to my next question. So these ghosts that you're encountering, there's like a time rift. Are they are they seeing there where they are as it was when they were alive? Are they seeing it as it is today? Like how does that work for them?
3: That's a great question. That's something we're trying to figure out ourselves. I I think that it that both could be a possibility. I think it could be different. You know, per location, per. This type mm-hmm. of haunting, I think it can happen. You know, we, we look into interdimensional phenomena. We look into all kinds of different things. We we look into quantum theory, to quantum physics, uh, quantum mechanics, uh, quantum consciousness, all kinds of things. You know, we're very open to any possibility, especially in the scientific realm, in the scientific community. So for us to say exactly what's happening, we're not quite sure. But... We do know that there is something happening that is uh, you know, above normal, paranormal, that is taking place in various locations throughout the world, and that it does seem to be there's some kind of consciousness there. So I think that there can be you know, scenarios and situations where um, they are seeing uh, in their time period, they are seeing it as it was, and I think that there are you know, different scenarios where they're seeing the building as is in our space and time uh but there's so many different theories and so many different ways we can go about it you know we're just not quite sure of it yet
2: yeah well i'll tell you um from my experience uh as a psychic medium i think it's both i think that it's it's very individual and i think sometimes when i'm connecting they are seeing it the way that it was and sometimes they're they're seeing it as it is today so it's probably very individual that makes yeah, perfect sense it,
1: yeah and, and I think it's also worth mentioning, we, we, touch, we touch on it briefly in the book, um, but whenever you're studying, like if you look at anybody who studies like theory of like time, right? Time, we perceive mm-hmm. it as a linear line, but time is anything but linear. Um, any type of study right. of time almost always mentions two uh, recurring phenomena that comes up in our research all the time, and that's pressure. And light when light forms, the beginning of its life cycle is the same as the end of its life cycle. So if you start thinking about how black holes operate and how time is operates by completely different rules in a black hole. Black holes thrive on pressure. That's how they are formed and that's how they grow larger and they suck things in and the last thing to uh live inside of a black hole uh the last thing to die out is light so i don't know what the hell that means or how to even like wrap that into paranormal theory but when pressure changes and light anomalies constantly come up in our research Could it be that what we're experiencing is just like a peering into a window of time in our investigations and that's the voices that we're getting and we're able to communicate with somebody or somebody's coming in? Um, Maybe. I know that Brandon's investigated uh, a lot of locations that have really deep, rich familial histories. So this is a very emotionally charged area. These are people who are,